Hello, and welcome back to 1A, a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina. Reverend Squires is the pastor of counseling here at First Pres, and I'm Josh Fleming, the pastoral intern for Discipleship. Today, we are continuing our discussion on Chapter 5 of the Westminster Confession of Faith of God's Providence. We'll be discussing particularly how God sometimes uses the sin and temptation of his people to bring them back to himself. If you have any questions about today's episode, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can email us at 1A at firstpreskolumbia.org. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and to those around you. Let's get to the conversation. Welcome back to 1A. My name is Josh Squires, and I am your host. And as always, is with me Josh Fleming. Glad to be here, guys. And Josh Adair. Glad to be here. And, of course, Mark Capper. Hey, brothers. Good to see you. Okay. Fleming, tell us where we left off and where we are starting up this episode. That's right. Uh, last time, we started looking at Chapter 5 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. We, we've covered the first three sections. Well, section 1, we kind of looked at the means, the purpose yeah. that the guys have laid out for us in Section 1. We jumped in uh, the next episode and looked at Sections 2 and 3. There we saw a little bit of how that plays out. We saw in Section 2, God uses second causes. He causes things to fall out according to a nature of cause and effect. And then once you read that, you come to Section 3, and you're like, oh, there's one little caveat, mm-hmm. one little caveat. Mm. That is, God can work, I think they say, above, without. He can, he can work outside of those second causes. Mm. Mm. I don't know if there's anybody out there listening mm. to this right now and needs to hear this, but our God works miracles. Mm. So there's some great hope for us there today. Now, we're, we're going to skip ahead, actually. We're going to skip over Section 4. We were discussing this. It's not because we don't like Section 4. It's because Section 4 discusses God's providence and how it extends even over the fall and sin of humanity. And that is covered in detail in the next chapter, Chapter 6 of the Confession. So we're going to start looking here at Section 5 today of Chapter 5 mm. of the Westminster Confession of Faith. So if it's okay with you guys, I'd like to go ahead and read this section, and then we'll dive right in. Please do. Sounds good. So this says, The most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own hearts, to chastise them for their former sins, or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts that they may be humbled, and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself, and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin, and for sundry other just and holy ends. Mm. Mm. That's a little bit of a, a tough section to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think? What are y'all's initial reactions to this? Well, actually, there are, in in my counting here, there are six separate pieces that the Westminster divines lay out as to why God allows his children to feel as if he's not present with them. Mm. Mm. And, and it's Im- mm. important that he doesn't actually leave them. Right. Right, the, the the Holy Spirit. That's what that's what we understand about the perseverance of the saints is that once saved, always saved. Once the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside the believer, 
He he doesn't mm-hmm. waffle. He he lives and takes up residence there forever. But from our side, that's what they're talking about. From our experience, experience right. there are times when it feels as if he is not there. Mm-hmm. That when I cry out, he's not listening. The joy of his presence isn't there. The comfort that the Holy Spirit often brings to our souls doesn't seem to be as effective from our perspective. Mm-hmm. He seems to have left. So why does he do that? Well, let's list these out. To chasten them for former sins. That's that's the first. And we'll come back to each of these and, mm-hmm. and talk about them. Right now, we're just kind of getting them. Yeah, we just want to list us. them. Yeah. So to chasten for former sins. For us to discover the hidden strength of the corruption and deceitfulness of our hearts. Mm-hmm. That we may be humbled, that we might be more close and constant in our dependence upon him mm-hmm. that we may be more watchful against all future occasions of sin. And really that discover the hidden strength of corruption and the deceitfulness of the heart should be two separate in my numbering. So that mm-hmm. gets you to six in this short little section. Mm-hmm. There are six sub reasons, right? why God might feel like he's left the believer. So before we get into any of this, it means that the 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 Westminster divines were really really interested in answering this issue. Right. They put some thought into this. That this is an mm-hmm. issue that is true about believers across time. That we have these experiences where it seems for whatever reason God just isn't as close. He doesn't seem to be answering my prayers. The mm. joy and the light just don't seem like they're there. Yeah. And, and so the fact that the divines took this much time to elucidate these six separate points shows you something pastorally about their hearts and pastorally about the place of believers across time. Mm. Right. So, yeah. so I think for anybody who has felt this, and I don't know if you guys have gone through seasons like this, I think I have felt seasons like this, but nothing like a Job or nothing like a Psalm 88 or anything like that. Not that dark. You know, you're glad that those sort of oxygen mask verses and stories exist inside of Scripture to let mm. you know that when you're feeling it, it, it this is something that happens. Mm. But I've not felt anything that intense. Praise the Lord, and I'm not asking for it, Mm. (laughs) Um, just to be clear, Lord. Mm. (laughs) Um, But I have had seasons where it's been less vibrant. My experience with the Lord is less vibrant. And whenever you experience any of those seasons, what's the first thing your heart begins to wonder? Am I genuinely one of Jesus's? Am I Mm. genuinely one of Christ's? Is there something wrong with me? that I would feel this way. Well, again, maybe he is chastising you. Maybe there is, but, but Hebrews 12 tells us that a loving father chastises his children. Right. Mm. Right. Mm. A loving father doesn't leave his children to go. And he tells us why he does it for their good, for their holiness. Mm. It's like, no one wants to go, like you said, no one wants to go through this, but it's like, if it's for your good, maybe you would say, okay, I'm willing for that. That's right. So, so even before we get into the, just if you, if you're a listener and you're in one of those seasons to know that you're not actually alone, right? This seems Mm. in various ways to be a normal experience of believers. 
Yeah. Now, if you've never experienced that, you don't you don't have to worry about all. There's something wrong with me either, right? <laughs> you, you don't have to go through experiences of this to be saved. Yeah. Right. But if you if you've experienced this, then you know that hey, actually, this has been an experience of believers for a very long time. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do say, I mean, God doth oftentimes leave for a season. Yep. So, I mean, they, in their pastoral experience, and I think yeah. our experience would back this up as well. Right. This is somewhat, somewhat frequent. Yeah. That yeah. Believers experience this. This yeah. is somewhat, uh, I mean, if you read, read the Old Testament, read the Psalms. Yep. And God, God works this way. That's right. And he leaves them too. And this is, this is really the heart of it. it. Not just that there's a season of feeling of left. That, that is true. But also that he leaves them to something, which is temptations and the corruptions. That is that there's a season where not only does right. he feel gone, but I'm given over to my sinfulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Right. And, and why would God allow me to be given over to my sinfulness? Okay. So there's really six separate things here and let's begin. And this is super pastoral. So from a counseling perspective, mm. it's like they're doing all the work for us. Yeah. <laughs> this is a place where they've really gone in on the application. That's right. So the first thing but is it's they, also a, go ahead, sorry. I go think on. it's a place just because there's so much varied expression here. Like we have to be really careful how we handle that. Um, like they are doing the work for us, but it like from the variation of what you've pointed out, Josh, like it's, it is really, really important that like this, this is the fruit of long reflection on various sorts of trial that a believer faces yeah. from the seasons that kinds of seasons that we've been talking to. So you can't just like instantly think, Oh, I'm suffering. I don't feel God's presence and instantly go here. There's a lot of reflection that goes into this and, and to consider as well. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So point number one, to chasten them for their former sins. So there is a sense in which God leaves us to the corruption of our own hearts that we might see the fruit of corruption. And the fruit of corruption is never actual satisfaction or joy. Mm. It, that, that is the lie that Satan loves to put in front of people. Mm. Is that without this thing, whatever that is, if it is power or money if it is influence, if it's sex, if it's um, whatever it is, like you, you will not be happy mm-hmm. unless you give over to this thing, only in and with this thing, which God has told you in his word is not good for you, is the only way in which you will ever be truly satisfied. You will be diminished in your person if you don't mm-hmm. listen and do this. That's Satan's number one tactic to get you to sin Mm. is to tell you you will not be satisfied unless you give into it. Mm. Mm. And so God allows people to be given over to those seasons of sin, A, so that he can chastise them, so that in their sin they may be found out either to themselves, to him, personal conviction with the Holy Spirit, maybe public conviction, but ultimately so that they can be chastened for choosing to sin and for choosing their own hearts and their own appetites over the Lord. Now, that's exactly what we said when we were just talking about Hebrews 12. Let's Mm -hmm. put this in the context of a parent. When your 
child does something, all all children lie. Mm. For instance, all children lie. There's not a single child that doesn't lie. If you think you have a child that doesn't lie, <laughs> they're just really good at lying. Mm. That's all that, that means. <laughs> They've uh, got you fooled. Exactly. <laughs> They've got yeah. Because every every sinful heart lies, lies to ourselves, lies to others. So everyone lies. And one of the worst things that you can do is allow a child to get away with their lies. It's one of the number one worst life outcome corollaries is someone who lies a lot. Okay? So you want to be able, when you catch them in a lie, to chasten them for their lie, for their future benefit and future good. Mm-hmm. Because being truthful is what will keep them in good stead, not only with the Lord, but in life in general. Mm. So as a good parent, what do you do when your child lies to you? You, you, don't, you don't slap them on the back and go, well done. <laughs> <laughs> that was really creative. The aliens took your homework. I would not have thought of that. <laughs> that was super creative. I'm proud of you. Here's some extra dessert, right? No. You chasten them. You you punish them. Is that as a sign of an angry, unloving parent? No. 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 That's what a loving parent does because that loving parent knows that it's good for the child. That they be punished mm-hmm. for it to stop doing it. Now, an unloving parent could do the same thing. An unloving parent could punish a child for lying in a way that is merely them them satisfying their own ends. Mm, yeah. That that's that's not what the Lord is doing. Not for his people, mm. not for his believers. All of the anger has already been satisfied in Christ's atoning work. Mm. Right. 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 Mm. So the only reason and in the same way that I, and again I don't know about y'all the two Joshes you guys are parents mm-hmm. Capper you're not quite not, a parent yet not not there but oftentimes punishing your children actually it hurts you to punish mm, your children yeah. mm. but you but you know it's good for them yeah right mm-hmm. our sins grieve the holy spirit they grieve the holy spirit and that grievousness is a and primarily because of the just mere sinfulness of it he is so holy as to not be in the sight of sin. But also because as children who require correction, he loves us. And that, that sort of correction, it's always difficult. You know? Right. Mm. It's unpleasant for everyone. Yeah. But because you love them, you say, well, I'm going to put us all through something that's unpleasant right now. Yeah. But it's for your good. It's for your flourishing. Yeah. And so that's how on the human level it works. But imagine with God who's perfect and yeah. completely motivated by love and, and, you know, desire for his glory and not at all by anger or <laughs> as as our earthly parents, myself included, are sometimes guilty of doing. But, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I recently, uh, I, I had a child. I, ha- I have two children who have homemade Harry Potter wands. Nice. One of my children lost a Harry Potter wand, and uh, the other child, who typically can keep hold of his things better, um, uh, kept his Harry Potter wand. And the these two children were having a conflict, and my uh, child that had lost his went and found uh, the Harry Potter wand that was homemade. Oh, no. It was it was made by a loved one, and he straight up broke it in half. Oh and no. It was. I think that was a really difficult moment to to know how to parent him well. But I think I caught something of like what 
what God allows for this when he when he allows us to be chastised and to see our sin uh for for ways that we've hurt others mm-hmm. because as I was coming to this child you know there were tears shed uh by me and by him as it was like wow like this is something that that we allowed ourselves to get caught up in uh yeah. that you that you that you transgressed against your brother you sinned against him and to see the pain that he saw in his own eyes uh, towards himself of like, I can't believe that this is what I did to my brother who I love and yeah. mm. that I broke this thing that he really loved. It was, it was a really powerful moment, but how much more, how much more is God's tender heart? And I don't mean to just make myself seem like God, because I, I don't think I handled it very well. <laughs> <laughs> how much more is God's tender heart at play when, uh, when we like see our sin and he's allowed us to to be chastised for it or disciplined for it and we see it and it it's pleasing to him but he also laments the fact that we have to see our own sinfulness because he's the god who's acted to redeem us from it and i just i just think that his love is not going to be so overpowering that it doesn't ever let us be willing to suffer in this way and i don't mean to say that in a way that's just not precise but like you see the full expression of God's character, and he's, he's fully motivated by love, and he's actually able to allow us to see our own sinfulness mm. so that we might hate our sinfulness and find more rest and refuge in him and his love. I think I said that somewhat correctly. Please correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and I think actually what your story illustrates is actually the second point as well, which uh, yeah. is that mm-hmm. God sometimes gives us over to these seasons of temptations in order that we can discover the hidden strength of the corruption in our hearts. Your son was surprised by the strength of the corruption of his heart. Mm. Yeah. That, that it was so strong that he would do something, lash out in a way that really did hurt his brother and destroy a unique thing that was very meaningful to him. Why would God allow that to happen? Well, God allows that and manifest other things in our own lives, each and every one, to be given over to sin so that when we are convicted of that sin, we're reminded of how strong sin is in our own mm-hmm. hearts. Why, why is it important that we would be reminded of the strength of sin? Well, if you hold sin lightly, A, you're not going to hold Christ and what he has done for you very highly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's an easy thing to conquer, what has Christ done for you? Right. He's mm-hmm. like, do you, do you remember those commercials? It's probably about 10, 15 years ago now. But it had a kid running down a track and like jumping over like really small hurdles and He's jumping over them so easily, and he's kind of like celebrating, and then all of a sudden he gets to the end of the track, and there's an actual full-size adult hurdle, (laughs) (laughs) and he's just staring at it, and it it was a commercial for education, right? And when we make our education like this, where people just have to jump over these small hurdles, when they get to life and they have to jump over these large hurdles, they're unprepared, Mm. right? And so if we think that sin and jumping over sin is like jumping over a small hurdle, it's not that big a deal. Mm. We, we don't love Jesus. We don't see Jesus as the one overcoming that mountain, jumping over a mountain that you and I yeah. could not ever in our own strength 
overcome. Secondly, mm. if we're not convicted about the strength of sin, we're not on the lookout for it. We're not mm. afraid of it. We're not trying to kill it. Mm. We're not running in prayer asking for mercy from it. We, we in our own arrogance, begin to think, I got this. Oh, yeah. mm. You know, I don't, I don't need mm. Christ. I don't need God and his sovereignty to help me through this particular thing, we need to be convicted of the strength of sin so that we can run in prayer to the Lord, both thanking him for his grace and asking for his power and sustaining mercies that like Mm. the Lord's prayer, that we would not be given over to the evil one. Mm. Right. That's so helpful. You know, think about, we talked about about how we lie. Yeah. You don't have to teach your children. Like, we all sort of tell this lie, I think, at times to ourselves that we're not that bad. Yeah. yeah. I'm, you know, I'm doing pretty good, and we can we can have that. And like you said, our pride and arrogance. And this helps us see what, what they're doing, doing here is helping us to see that it is a, a gift, a grace from God hmm. to actually show us how dark and evil our hearts are because it rids us of that lie that we're not that bad. Yeah. And yeah. it highlights the beauty the, the mystery, the wonder of the gospel. Because otherwise, you know, if it, like you said a minute ago, if we don't see how great our sin is, what's the good news in the gospel? I'm saved from what? Like, I, mm. you know, but this, man, when you, when you feel the depth of the depravity in your heart, ooh, you're thankful. <laughs> you're, yeah. 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 So. I think that the way we're reading this at the moment, we're really kind of thinking of our own personal experiences with this to some extent. But I also see how this section can be comforting for those who see this at least potentially happen for others. Because I think what this can Mm, often look like, especially for Mm. parents who have adult children that maybe are straying from the faith and these parents Mm. wonder, have, has my child apostatized? Are are they not saved? Um, That at least Mm. I think this section can give parents like that hope yeah yeah that don't give up don't stop praying and bringing your child before mm. the throne of grace yeah because they are a covenant child um and you don't know if god is done with them yet this may be a season where he is allowing them to to give into manifold temptations the corruptions of their own hearts um, that they might discover the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness in order to humble them. But they haven't <laughs> maybe reached that point of humbling yet. Yeah, I just I think that's very hopeful. Mm-hmm. I think that that actually highlights something further that I was going to say, Mark, and that's a profound catch on that, that like we all know forms of love that are really enabling that are really self-destructive and really destructive of the one that you're trying to love. Mm. And when I was saying that God's love is not so powerful, I was not intending to, to say that God's love is not powerful or to detract from it, but God's love, it shows you the holiness of his love, that he's willing to allow his children to endure being exposed to their own sin. So that even for the parent who's watching their child walk away from the faith seemingly, and they're in a season of being turned over to their own sinfulness— like, that parent is going to feel a temptation to be like, I just need to stop pointing out my child's sinfulness. I just need to stop doing this and just try to love them where they are. 
like on one level, yes, but on another level, you have to balance that with the wisdom of what the divines have showed us here of saying like, well, is this going to actually, if I affirm where they are now, is this going to be something that destroys them? And and how can I show God's holy love for them in this moment that allows them to endure this? Because I think it's often really difficult to know how to relationally care for each other. But God gives us an example in how he allows us to endure the adversity of our own sin and chastisement so that we might be people who lovingly care for others and know how to enter in well with them in a way that points them back to the God who loves them. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. And I would just add one little rejoinder, and that is that you don't get in the way of the consequences Mm. that the Lord is bringing into people's lives. I think that's one of the ways in which... And it's hard for Christians because we don't get what we deserve, do we? We get grace. Mm-hmm. What we deserve is hell. And so oftentimes for Christians, when they look at loved ones who are being given over to the corruptions of their hearts, they want to step in for them and take away some of the consequences for that mm. because that's a way to show grace. And I would say if it's the first time someone's done something like that, then showing them grace is a good and right step. But if it's a pattern, mm. something in their life mm. that keeps going again and again, you've got to let them actually feel the consequences, no matter how dire, yeah. of their decisions, because that is the way that the Lord chastens them and may be revealing to them the strength and deceitfulness of their hearts, mm. right? Mm. That, that by the way, goes to the, the third element here, which is the deceitfulness. So not just the hidden strength of corruption in their hearts, but the, the deceitfulness of their hearts. Now that is, you know, I, we use this phrase maybe every single time on this podcast <laughs> and maybe every single time from the pulpit, but <laughs> it is countercultural. Mm. <laughs> Right. I mean, and I don't know how often that's true. Like sometimes, sometimes you need good family and, and my kids who are in high school now will come up to me and be like, dad, I go to public school and everyone says they love Jesus. It's really not that countercultural. Yes. <laughs> you, just, you just watch and read too much. Right. Um, and like, okay, yeah, that's, that's good. That's, it's a good corrective. So, but this is, I think, genuinely countercultural. That mm-hmm. is that our hearts are not generally reliable mm. unto mm. the appetites that we need to have satiated. Mm. They are actually deceitful. Mm. Now, mm. that doesn't mean that our emotions and that our hearts can't be used good and can't be used wisely. Um, Paul is very clear that sometimes there is peace that surpasses understanding. Our experience in our heart goes beyond the cognitive ability for us to reckon through the Mm. grace and spirit of God. So our hearts are not always 100% deceitful, but at the same time, we should look at them with skepticism. Mm. And when our hearts tell us because they have either listened to the lie of Satan or because the sin uh, comes up in us ourselves, that we will not be satisfied unless we give in to this sin. And we're allowed to do that for a little while only to find it empty and shallow and hollow. Mm -hmm. We recognize that our hearts are incredibly deceitful. I mean, in the moment of temptation, does your heart believe anything else other than I must have that in order to be happy? Right. Mm -hmm. Mm. Right. That that's the level, even though, you know, cognitively 
that is against God's law, whatever it is. I shouldn't talk about this person in that way. I shouldn't grab for this power, that money in that way. I shouldn't think about that person in that particular way. And yet you give into it because your Mm -hmm. heart has deceived you that what you need and what you know is better than what God's word knows for you. Right. And we again need to be convinced time in and time out that our hearts are deceptive things. Mm. Not, not truth giving things always. Mm. Right. Mm. And culture out there says, follow your heart, follow your heart. That's the motto. Do what's going to make you happy. Do what's going to, you know, find your Mm -hmm. uh, inner self, your, you know, actualize self, all the things. Uh, Yeah. Again, and I do think this is counterculture. I mean, I think this is the the very frontier of where culture is right now mm. in something like gender and sexuality and all of that is that yeah. your heart can tell you the truth over your biology, mm. let mm. alone something like God's word. Mm. But your, your how you feel, quote unquote, your internal sense is actually the most reliable thing that you have, you have out there. And what the divines are saying is sometimes we're given over to our heart to recognize it is a very, very deceitful organ. Mm. Yeah, I think a helpful illustration of this even is uh, now, I, I don't know, this might be getting kind of technical to sciencey here. And even I don't know all the ins and outs of this, but the difference between north and true north, like with a compass and the earth's axis and things like that, is that sometimes when you get to a certain point, the magnetism of the earth, the true north actually isn't in the same place as like, you know, what we think of as the north pole or whatever. Mm. And so your compass says like, oh yeah, you're going north. So follow it north, but actually you're headed east. Or, yeah, right, right. Exactly. Not exactly right. Yeah. And so just in the same way, you know, in that sense that there's something that is deceptive, even in a sense about maybe who knows if that's a consequence of the curse of brokenness of the fall or, <laughs> you know, all the ins and outs of that. But I think that's reflective of the deceptiveness of our own hearts. Right. That, your heart's compass um, is saying, I've got to have this thing or this relationship or this whatever. And, and the compass of, of God's revealed word and, and his will is, is something very different. Yeah. 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 And we listen to the, the deceitful. <laughs> That's all, right. All That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting close on time here. So let's look at the opposite now. So what it's done is it's talked about the ways in which it reveals to us the nature of ourselves. Therefore, that we might have something positive. And what are those positive things? And really, all three of these we've hit on as we've talked about the negative because it's just the, the polar opposite. It's just the opposite right. side of the coin is what it is. Mm-hmm. One that they might be humbled. That's right. right. People don't want to be humbled a lot. I mean, no one loves humility. Uh, and if you think you're really humble, I don't know anybody who's humble who thinks they are. <laughs> right? And that's not my quote. That's a quote from, I think, Eugene Peterson, if okay. I'm correct. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So it's a sense of actually demoting ourselves, demoting our own hearts and our own corruption to submit to the word and to the spirit. That is exactly what we need to be doing. And, and in order to do that well, we have to have a sense of the word and the spirit's authority and veracity more than my own internal sense of what I want and need. That's, that's literally what it means to be humble, right? Is to walk in with this assured sense of what is right and it's not me. Then to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon 
God himself. That, that's what that mm-hmm. himself is referring to. So in allowing us seasons of sinfulness and then to be convicted of that sin, ultimately the goal for his believers is that they will run to him more. Mm-hmm. They will stray from his cross less. Right? Does that, does that make sense? So that we more and more run to him rather than running to our own intuition. Yeah. Okay? Look, we all want close relationships with the Lord. If you're a genuine believer, that's what heaven is. Mm. Heaven is being in close contact with Christ. If you don't love and want more close contact with Christ, let me tell you what, heaven is not going to be heaven for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, so so we want to be closer and in more contact with him, and this is one of the ways he does that is by allowing us to be in our sins and be convicted by that sin, so that we will run to him, like we said earlier, for the sort of strength, knowing that we need to combat the strength and deceitfulness of our own hearts, and then lastly, having the knowledge of the deceitfulness and the strength of our own hearts, what does that do? Well, it makes us more watchful against them in all future occasions. So we find our hearts less reliable. We find God's word more reliable. We are more skeptical, and we are more on the lookout for anything that our hearts might tell us to go and run after, recognizing that what it's telling us to go after can and often is something counter to God's word and therefore counter to our actual good. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? I think it's helpful too just to see that the goal of the humbling as well is to raise us up to a more close and constant dependence on him. That the humbling itself has a purpose. Mm. Yeah. That our chastising has a purpose. Yeah. That, it's not just to squash you. Right. For no other reason, but it's to yeah, that, bring you to him. Right. That you know, sort of mm. this idea we see repeated in scripture that those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Mm. Um, that God mm. he will humble us, but he's doing it for his glory and for our good. Uh, that he still might display his glory through us. Yeah, I think that reminds me of the Hebrews passage that we've already talked about. Like this, it walks the range of Hebrews 12 uh, of saying, it, it, uh, it's for discipline you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're without discipline in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides that, We've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not be much more subject to the Father of spirits and live? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. That's just, that's the beautiful picture of like, you can think of some capricious God behind this, but scripture tells us, no, he's your father. Mm -hmm. And even in how he is trying to expose your sinfulness uh, to you that you might uh, be made more aware of these positive things that he wants to do in you. He wants to humble you, to raise you to more dependence upon him, and to make you watchful that you might hate future sin. It's because, ultimately, he's trying to make you more like himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's yeah. so easy to forget that in the disorienting effects of our 
suffering because of our own sinfulness. But yeah. that's, I mean, this is really what Hebrews and this, this passage is uh, in the uh, Westminster Confession is talking about, is that God can even use our own uh, sinfulness uh, to uh, draw us, make us more aware of it, and draw us to a deeper relationship with him. Because he's the God of all grace who glorifies his name and his people at whatever cost it brings, and he will make sure that we look like his son uh, as as he desires that we do. So, Yeah. Yeah. As we wrap this up, let me just wrap it up with a, a couple of things. One, that like Mark said, this should be comforting to anyone who has a loved one who seems to be a prodigal. That there is a sense in which, okay, God does chasten and harden and reveal sin to those whom he loves and allows them for a season. And that season, I often use the word season in counseling because I don't know how long things last. Mm -hmm. Right? This could Mm -hmm. be weeks. It could be days. It could be months. It could be years. And so you're praying down heaven that this is a season that God is using in your loved one to help them to show the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts, to chastise them for their sins, and that they may be humbled. Like, that's that's what you are praying for in this season. Secondly, it should scare the mess out of you <laughs> if God is letting you get away with your sins. Mm. Yeah. And you're not experiencing some of this. If you are more and more leaning into your sin and thinking, no, this is fine, this is satisfying, and it's good— well, now you're probably into section six, um. which is God uses the exact same means to allow people to harden their hearts oh. rather than to soften them. Wow. Right? And that's the warning. Not, not that believers don't come into these seasons. Believers do come into these seasons, but it's the effect of these seasons. Right? And so if you're hearing this and you say you're a believer and you've given yourself over to a particular sin and you don't feel that pinprick of conviction mm. and running to the Lord and you don't want to be humbled and say, Lord, somehow help me, we all do sin in word and thought and deed every single day. Mm. So this is not a victorious Christian living. But if, it, if it's not leading you to repentance and dependence on him, brother or sister, look out. That is scary. Mm. Yeah. All right, Fleming, what are we looking at next time we get together? We'll get back together and uh, take a look at, at chapter six. We're going to be dealing there with the fall. It's going to be it's going to be a little bit of the bad news. Mm. <laughs> Got to get the bad news before you can get to the say, good news. Remember, <laughs> when you get the bad news, that prepares you to appreciate the beauty, the grace of the good news. So, mm. yeah, well, maybe the next one's going to be a little a little more <laughs> beat us up a little bit. Yeah. So thanks, guys. Yeah. Always enjoy this. To our listeners, hey, any questions, feel free to send them in to us. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. We'd love to hear any questions or feedback that you have. 1A at firstprezcolumbia.org. Um, send anything you got. If this, if you enjoy this content, let us know. If you'd like us to deal with something else, let us know. We always want to listen to and respect those who listen and take their time to listen to us. For Josh Fleming, for Josh Adair, for Mark Capper. I'm your host, Josh Squires. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And until then, God bless.